following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Thank you for singing with us. And if you have your Bibles with you, would you grab them? Would you open with me to Genesis chapter 22? Um, We have a lot of ground to cover, but this is such an incredible and a wonderful text. Uh, Just one of the most pivotal moments in all of Scripture that we get the privilege and the joy of looking at. It's a story about faith. It's a story about our God, and it's a story that will challenge us, regardless of who you are. Regardless of where you are in your faith, I encourage you and I challenge you to approach this text asking that God would speak, that he would would move. I believe God has something specific for us this morning. I really believe that. Uh, And to that end, before we get going... I know we, we, we just stopped and paused for prayer, but I think it's important that as we turn our hearts to this, this text, that we just stop. We come to him and we ask him to help us. And so would you just pray with me? Lord, we pause and we thank you for this great moment, this great day. We thank you for this moment that we get to come together as your people, called, set apart, redeemed. Lord, you are holy, perfect, and good. And this morning as we come to your word, we ask that you would speak and move. We are not here to hear from any man. We are here to hear from you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would speak. We ask that you, through your spirit, at work through your word, would change us, challenge us. Lord, would you give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the strength and the courage to apply. And most of all, Lord, would you give us the faith to believe. And we thank you. It's it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we turn our hearts to this story, um, have you ever been in a place in your life when just all the stars align Everything is clicking, and things are awesome. If you've ever been in that place, some of you might be in that place right now. Things are just good. Maybe it's the, the, the honeymoon season of a new job that you've been wanting, and God shows up, and now things are just great. Maybe it's your literal honeymoon season with a, with a new spouse. Uh, maybe you just started a new relationship, and it's just awesome. Maybe you got into the community, you bought the house that you've been dreaming about, and that house has no problems. It is perfect in every way, shape, and form. Um, Maybe you worked hard for a promotion and you got it, whatever it may be. That season that is just smooth. God just showed up, things are going well, things are coming together, you feel stable. If you've been there, praise God for those seasons. Praise God for those seasons of life. And that is the season that Abraham was in as we roll into chapter 22. Uh, God had just showed up. In fact, in the first verse of, of chapter 22, it says, after these things. What are these things? What, is he, what, are we, what, what should we think about when it says after these things? 
Well, this is right after God had just miraculously fulfilled his promise. I mean, they made a, God made him a promise. They believed and they waited and they waited and they waited for 25 years. They waited. And then just in the right moment, just in the perfect timing, God's timing, we read in, in chapter 21 that the Lord visited Sarah and did exactly what the Lord had promised to do, and they had a son named Isaac. Just in the right time, just in the right moment, God fulfills this promise, because our God is a promise-keeping God, always. Always. He, he is faithful to fulfill his promises. And here in God's word, God keeps his promise to Abraham and Sarah, as unlikely as it was that a hundred-year-old man would have a child as unlikely as it was that a 90-year-old woman would be able to have a child, as unlikely as it was, God fulfills this promise, and a baby was born, and a wonderful plan of God is unfolding. We're left in this moment. They laugh with joy. <laughs> they just laugh, the joy of the Lord, just laughing. We even read the verse right before our text in verses 33, 34. It says, Abraham planted... A tamarisk tree. I, we have oak trees here. I have no idea what to tell you about that one. But he planted this tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. It, all things were right. He's planting worship trees, right? And then in verse 34, And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. All things were right. All things were as they should be. They had a son, the promised son. They had been blessed. They had the land after a hundred long years. Abraham reaches that finish line. And it's all there. He plants a tree, calls on the name of the Lord, worships the Lord. And right after that, we get to our text in, in chapter 22 that says, and after these things. And after these things, well, what happened after these things? Well, after these things, our text says God tested Abraham. Now, does that make anyone else just stop and go, eh, wait, um, can God do that? Does he do that? Does he test his people like that? Anyone else read that and just kind of stop and, and, and think, has God ever tested me like that? Um, could he be testing me like that right now? Um, anyone think that? Maybe we should. Maybe we should. God tests Abraham. Why? Why would God do that? In this time, everything's good. The worship tree just got planted. It's good. And why would God do this? Let's not get ahead of ourselves. We'll continue on in our text here. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham, said to Abraham, uh, he said, Abraham, and, and Abraham says, here I am. Here I am. Then, verse 2, he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. God says, Abraham, take your son. Your son. The one that was promised to you. The one that was born to you. The answer to prayer. Take your son. Not just your son. God drills it a little deeper and says, your 
only son, the only one who is the fulfillment of the promise, the only one you had been waiting on for a hundred years, take your son, take your only son, not only that, it's not just your son, he's not just your only son, but the one whom you love, you sense that, that the Lord is kind of drilling this down, this test down deeper and deeper and deeper. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him. God is essentially saying, take the fulfillment of the promise and give it back to me. Give it up. Take the promise that I have fulfilled and give it up. Um, Job, if you remember the, in the book of Job, Job has this line, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, right? There's perhaps no greater example than this. What on earth would have been running through the mind of Abraham in a moment like that? Conflict. Confusion. We'll get to that in a moment. I won't get ahead. Um, for now, what I want us to see here is that Abraham listened and then obeyed. And we see Abraham take the first step of obedience. Sometimes that first step is really hard. We see Abraham taking here the first step. It says, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose, went to the place of which God had told him. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his, in his hand the fire and the knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, son. And he said, behold, the, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, listen to this, church. God will provide for himself, the lamb, for a burnt offering, my son. Church, yes, he will. Before we move forward, further in this, hear me, church. When the Lord tests, the Lord provides. When the Lord tests us, the Lord will provide for us. When there is a testing, church, there is a provision and Sometimes even the very thought of us being tested by the Lord is an incredibly daunting thing to even try to wrap our minds around. But listen, I want us to think about this t together. Um, how many know the way to grow your faith? Anyone know the trick? Church, so often the way to grow our faith, the way to increase our faith is to exercise our faith. We trust our God, right? We, we trust him. And then so often we're given more than we ever expected in our lives. And, and, and here's the beautiful thing. Again, when we're tested, there is provision. So the, 
the Lord provides. We're given more than we are expected, but then through his sovereign grace, he provides. We make it through trusting God even more. It's kind of the cycle. It's having our faith strengthened. Every man, every woman of faith that we look back on in history, that we know in our lives, every man and woman of faith is a man or a woman who has endured, who has been stretched, who has been tested. It's like a person with gigantic biceps. Those are not accidental. That doesn't happen without exercise. Some of you maybe, but for the majority of us, no, right? That kind of faith comes through fire. It comes through testing. Our faith increases as it is exercised, and with every test comes provision. Abraham was soaring high in his life. And God had a plan to take him even higher. Now, it did not feel like that in this moment. His faith was about to be stretched to its breaking point. But as a result, you know what happened to Abraham? Abraham became this resounding example of faith for millions upon millions of people, thousands upon thousands of years Our faith increases as it is exercised, and with every test comes provision. I want us to look at this. Verse verse 8. So they both, they they went both of them together. Verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. We have to stop and ask, what could Abraham have been thinking here in this moment? What kind of dad would do this? More than that, what kind of God would ask a dad to do this? For so many, this story can be incredibly difficult to even take in. I want us to do something together. I want you to hold your place here. We're coming back. But I want you to flip from the front of your Bible to the back of your Bible, nearly the back, um, to the book of Hebrews. Chapter 11. Um, this is often been called the faith hall, the hall of fame of, of faith, the faith hall of fame. Um, and in this, this chapter here, there's these stories of just absolute giants of the faith. So many names are listed here. So many stories are recounted to us. And as you would guess, Abraham is in here. And this story is actually listed for us in here. The reason I want us to read this before we continue on is because in Hebrews 11, the Word of God gives us a glimpse into the mind of a dad in this moment. Hebrews chapter 11, look with me at, at, verse, at verse 17. By faith, 
when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Same thing we just read. Of whom it, is, it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. In other words, Abraham had just received the promised son, the one upon whom it all hinged, the heir, the promised one. And then listen to verse 19. This is just huge. He considered that God, this is Abraham, he considered that God <laughs> was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. <laughs> Abraham thought, I mean, just take this in. Abraham thought, well, God, this doesn't make any sense. I know what you said. I know what you promised. I know who Isaac is. I know that he is the one. I know, I know, and I believe you. I have faith in that. What you're asking me to do makes no sense. None. I, I know what you have promised me. I know what you have done. I know what you have said. And now you're asking me to do this. But I know that if you're asking me to do this, you're just going to raise him up. You're just going to come through with another miracle again. In other words, Abraham's faith was so strong in the Lord that he knew our God can do all things, conquer all obstacles, all of them to fulfill his promise. Even if that means a couple having a baby when they're 100 years old. Check. Done. Even if that means bringing my son back to life. If that's your plan, you're going to do it. And Abraham believed Abraham believed. He believed, in other words, that this was not the end. This was not him saying goodbye to his son. It made no sense. It was confusing. But he stood on the promise of God and he believed. He did not know what the Lord was doing. He did not know the Lord's plan. But he believed. It was only by faith in God that Abraham could do this. His faith was tested. His, his faith was stretched, and Abraham believed. Not only did he believe, but Abraham obeyed, and he obeyed all the way to the very end. I want you to think about this with me. It takes a lot of faith and obedience to take that first step. To hear what the Lord has asked, to then saddle up your donkey, and to pack up and to get your son and to make this trip. That was a big step of faith and obedience. It takes even more faith and obedience to get there on said donkey, get off the donkey, grab your son, load up, and make that trek to the final place. When Abraham knew what was at the end of that final destination. In church, it takes even more faith and even more obedience to get to this place where he is obedient to the very end, but Abraham believed that God will provide. He believed it. So Abraham obeyed. Now, flip back with me to Genesis 22, and let's finish, finish this, this story. Let's look at verses 11 through 13 here. 
But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Church, there is no greater sound than the sound, that heavenly voice coming and saying, Abraham, Abraham. There is no greater sight than turning around and seeing a ram caught. When the Lord tests, the Lord provides. When the Lord tests, the Lord provides. And so I, I want to ask us to consider, what did this test prove? What did this test prove? The heavenly voice says, For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. The test proves something profound. Would you still love God apart from his good gifts? Would you still trust God apart from his blessing? If he brought you through plenty, through blessing, would you bless his name? In the same way, if he brings you through famine, would you bless him? Would you trust him? Would you still trust God if you were confused? Unclear. Would you still love him? Would you still bless him? Would you still trust him apart from his good gifts and apart from his blessings? This is what this test proved. In other words, if you, if you think about it, was God simply a means to an end? Was God here simply a way for Abraham to get a son, a means to an end, a genie, a cosmic ATM machine? Or would Abraham's faith stand strong? These are really good questions because if we're not careful, it is really easy for us to slip into a bit of prosperity gospel without even realizing it. What I mean by that is, is the call to come to Christ is not come to Christ and experience blessing upon blessing. Your life is going to be better than it has ever been before. You're going to be blessed, health, wealth, whatever it is. Come to Jesus and life is going to be awesome. In some ways, it would be us, like, that would be like us selling Jesus as this, you know, you see all these really nice things? See them? You want them? No. You've got to come to Jesus first. Then you can get his nice things. Come to Jesus and then you get Jesus' nice things. Let me be really clear about something. Um, that is garbage. Complete, total trash. Completely deceptive, completely false. It is not Christian, and that is not Christ. I think I said that strong enough. Um, we do not come to Jesus for his things. 
We come to Jesus to get Jesus. And every desire is perfectly satisfied in Christ and Christ alone. We bless the Lord who gives and who takes away. We rejoice in the times of blessing and plenty. And we lament in the times of pain. And through it all, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Listen, I love you enough to be honest with you. To be completely honest with you. If you're here at church to get something from Jesus, if you're coming to Christ to get his nice things, if you're coming here as a way of kind of rubbing the proverbial genie in a bottle, it does not work like that. We have missed it. We are missing the great joy of the gospel. We are settling for a downgraded, second-grade, counterfeit version of the truth. Jesus Christ is our prize. Jesus Christ is our prize. Through thick and thin, come to Jesus and get Jesus now and forever. (laughs) Nothing that you can give me would make that better. And nothing you can take away from me would make him less. That's the joy. In Jesus, we have everything. Would you still love God apart from his good gifts? Let me ask it this way. If God were to give you everything that you asked for, if you were to, if you do a prayer journal, you should, by the way. But if you were to open that, and God would literally go, everything, I give it all to you. If God gave you everything that you asked for and then in that moment said, now give it all back, would you curse his name? Would you bless his name in faith? That was the test. That was the test. When God tests, God provides. Verse 14, Abraham obeyed. God provided, verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. (laughs) Amen. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The Lord will provide. The Lord will always provide. If you're facing a temptation, a trial, a season of testing, church, the Lord will provide. He will provide. I, I'm reminded of Paul again in 1 Corinthians 10. It says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted past your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you will be able to endure it. The Lord will provide. He is faithful to provide. And this even applies in seasons of mass confusion. When we don't know why. Seasons of testing and trial. It may stretch you, church, beyond what you ever thought could be possible. You may be stretched beyond what you ever thought you would be able to endure. But you are not alone. You are not alone. You are not abandoned. And you will not face anything that you will not be able to handle through the grace of God. That is our promise. In each and every situation you face, your God is bigger, he is sovereign, he is good, and he will provide. More than that, don't end there, because it gets better. Because more than that, you will come out on the other side of it like a refining fire, more purified and more strengthened. (laughs) 
the people in my life who I think about and I think, whoo, now that's, that's a person of faith. Without exception, those are the people who have walked through the test and were found faithful. The joy of following Christ is that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. The good things in life only cause us to stop and give him praise and glory for the the giver of good things. On the other side, though, the difficult things of life, yeah, those only refine us. Those only work to grow our faith. That's the Christian life. And, and I want to I go a little deeper. I want us to consider for a moment the gospel in light of this. Um, let's, let's consider the gospel. And even if you said no, I'm going to do it anyway, all right? Let's consider the gospel here for a moment as we, as we think about this, this story. Verse 15, let's, let's pick it up. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, that promise. Verse 17, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Verse 18, and in your offspring shall the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham is restored. The promise is restored and restated to him. And I want us to look at what we just read with, with, through gospel lenses here because this is so beautiful and so powerful. Our text says, In your offspring shall the nations of the earth be blessed. Listen, a few thousand years later, there would be another promised birth. The one who would come through Abraham's line. The promised Messiah. A few thousand years later, the promised Messiah would come just as was predicted and promised. And in that fulfillment of that incredible promise, in the joy of that, the unthinkable happens. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the perfect one, is then arrested, tried, mocked, whipped, and sentenced to death, death by way of crucifixion. He was hung on the cross, and even in this moment, he was being mocked. Uh, we, we read, it's just unbelievable, we read Matthew 27, 41, says, so also the chief priests with the scribes, the elders, mocked him mocked him and is saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Oh, they did not know. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. Just mocking. He trusts in God and let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Little did they know what they were witnessing. Little did they know how true it was when, he, when they mocked him, saying, well, he saves others. Then his, as his broken body, the body he gave as a sacrifice, as his blood was spilled, spilled for the forgiveness of our sins. Verse 50 says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Darkest moment in all of history. It was done. 
the, the true sacrifice for sin, it was done, it was complete. Listen, we know that our God is perfect. We know that our God is not a God who will divinely sweep sins under the rug. We know that because he is perfect and just and holy and righteous, that every sin must be dealt with. Everyone, everyone must be dealt with. Either in your death or in Christ's death, every sin will be punished. And for those in Christ, we we know, we stand on that the fact that every sin on him was laid. And our God is perfectly just. And in this moment, it's not only that he's perfectly just, but he becomes the justifier, as Romans 3 tells us. It is done. I, I want you to think about this. On Mount Moriah, Abraham's hand was stopped. It was stopped. Abraham's son would not be the sacrifice. How incredible, church, is it to know that a few thousand years later, God the Father would look down on his only son hanging on the cross as the perfect sacrifice. That he would give his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. In such a powerful way, Mount Moriah, God provided a substitute. He provided the ram restated the promise to Abraham. And church on Calvary, God provided a substitute. Jesus did not deserve death. You and I do. That was our death. That was our place. That was our burden. That was our price for the, our, our sin. And he took it. Just like the ram on Mount Moriah on Calvary, a substitute was provided. As the ram was provided God's provided substitute for Isaac. Church, Christ is God's provided substitute for you. Isaiah 53 reminds us, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Christ was our substitute. This beautiful exchange where he took the death we deserved and the righteous one suffered in the sinner's place. 1 Peter 3.8 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. Listen to this. The righteous for the unrighteous. Our holy substitute. That he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus Christ is our substitute. And he didn't just only take on the death that we deserve. He didn't just... In him we don't only just stand forgiven... It was more than that, because through Christ, we are not only forgiven, pardoned, but we are made righteous. He took the death we deserve, and in exchange, gave us his righteousness. In 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become what? 
not just forgiven, not just pardoned. What does it say? That in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're not only forgiven, we're not only pardoned, we are righteous, we are cleansed through Jesus Christ because he is our substitute. In such a beautiful and a profound way, each and every one of us should stand and relate to Isaac in that it was us. It was our place. And in the perfect time and God's perfect plan, lo and behold, a ram is stuck in the thicket behind us. In God's perfect timing and God's perfect plan, Christ takes your place. Let me say it again. God will provide. God will always provide. For all who are here, who are in Christ this morning, let us just stop and together agree with Abraham in verse 14 that says, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Just as God provided on Mount Moriah, God provided on the cross of Calvary. And all who are here in Christ, hear me, just as your God provided for you on Calvary, he will provide for you in this life through each and every trial, through each and every test, God will provide. So fix your eyes on him. Consider the way he has provided in the past. More than that, consider the cross of Jesus each and every day. Because if the Lord will do that, should he not give you all the things? And as Abraham, trust him, he will provide. Listen, you may be in a really tough season right now. And I know that some of you are. A trying season. A season where, as I said, we feel like we have been given just a little more than we ever expected. You might be here and just be incredibly confused. This, this may simply be the strength training for your faith. That God wants to cause you to soar even higher in your faith. Strengthen you like a refining fire that God will provide. Church, keep walking in obedience. It's not for me to give you the answer as to why. I'm not even going to make up something. God has a plan, and when he tests, he provides. When he tests, he provides. So keep walking in obedience. And for those of you who are here and who are not in Christ this morning, maybe you're here and you are unsure. I'm about to give you the most brutally honest gospel call I can possibly give you, okay? I plead with you to come to Christ. Not for good health. Not that your situation in life will become better. Not that the people in your life will stop being so mean. Not for wealth. Not that your relationships are automatically going to go oh, healthy.
It's not that I'm promising that all things are going to get easier, like this is some magic pill. I'm not going to promise any of these things to you. I plead you to come to Christ because Jesus Christ is worth it. He's worth it. I plead with you to come, as, as, as Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I, I plead with you to come and taste and see that he is good, that he will satisfy your soul perfectly and completely, give you a new heart, and get this, call you to a new purpose. I plead with you to come to Christ, to experience Christ, to know Christ, to walk with Christ. God will provide. He has provided. Come to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Come to Christ for new life and new purpose. Come to Christ for eternal life. Come to Christ for Christ because he is good. He satisfies. He is more than enough to satisfy your soul. He is peace. He is hope. He is love. Come to Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, so often as I get the great privilege of standing up here and preaching your word, so often I know that you are preaching to me. Through prep and even this morning, Lord, you are doing a work. And I, I am grateful. But Lord, I am so challenged right now. And I just pray for all of us. Lord, I know that so many of us pray the prayer, would you grow our faith? Would you grow our faith? Would you grow our faith? And then we complain like crazy when you give us the test to do it. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to not enjoy the test, that, but to hold strong in the faith through each and every situation of life, knowing that you are sovereign, knowing that you are good, trusting that you have a plan, even though we can't see it, even though we are confused. Lord, would you help each and every one of us this morning to lay our lives out before you, to surrender the fact that we do not have the full perspective, but you do, to surrender the fact that we don't even know what is good for ourselves, but you do, Surrender to the fact that you are doing a work and the work that you've begun, that you are faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. Would you help us, Lord? Because so often our cry is, is we believe, Lord, help our unbelief. Well, this morning for anyone here who is in that place, Lord, we believe. Now, Lord, would you help us? As with Abraham, would you give us the faith to take the first step of obedience? followed by the second, followed by the third, knowing that in each and every step that you are teaching us, growing us, you are faithful, and that when you test, it is for our good and you will provide. Lord, we, we stop and just acknowledge that you are such a good God. Lord, teach us how to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen.